Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat sermon by Rabbi Adam Kligfeld. Sweet Caroline. It's incredible how that works, right? I wonder, I wonder if there's a shul in the country where if you started that way, you wouldn't get that response. I don't know, maybe in the Mississippi Delta. I don't know. Um, did anyone know why I'm beginning my sermon on Parshat Tetzaveh with Sweet Caroline? Jeremy? Two excellent guesses. Not correct. Some of you may have seen, this has been a week of tremendous memes. Some of you have seen a meme out there, I saw it on Facebook, imagining a conversation between Neil Diamond and that song and the CDC. And Neil Diamond says, hands, CDC, yes, watch them for at least 20 seconds. Touching hands, no, please don't touch hands. Reaching out, avoid that too. Touching me, oh no. Touching you, holy hell. (laughs) One of the versions of that meme ended with, all of Boston is doomed. (laughs) Sorry, Dr. Rothbaum. And memes like that have proliferated. Our world today, more than usual, is concerned about touch. We're concerned about touching. And every community, including ours, is trying to figure out the delta between reasonable precautions to prevent the spread of illness, which all of us want to do, and unreasonable ones. We were grateful that we received an email back from one of the members of our community from the emails that we sent out this week, which said that our community stance was vigilant but not panicked. And every infectious disease specialist I've spoken to have used words almost exactly like that. Responsible citizens should be vigilant, but not panicked. No one really knows. That's good news and bad news. But no one really knows whom should be quarantined and for how long. And what would happen if they successfully quarantined for two weeks and went out to the store and got reinfected. And no one really knows what we should be doing at Kiddush in a few minutes. We're going to be taking some precautions just to reduce the mathematical chance of transmission within this community. But no one really knows how we should be handling that moment or whether or not we should be walking the Torah around the room, which we chose not to do. But I will tell you, as the Jewish community has been thinking and trying to think responsibly about how to respond to this moment of touch avoidance and touch aversion... It's been reinforced to me how much touch we have in our community. How tactile our religious life is. And all of the touchy parts of Jewish ritual that we're used to. A mezuzah kiss as you walk in and out of a room or a house. Should we be doing it? Kissing the tzitzit during the Shema. Now my tzitzit potentially has a pathogen on it. Taking the aliyah to the Torah, where you take your hand and you take the seed and you touch the spot and you put your lips to it, spread, spread, spread. Tefillin, the wrapping of that message from God on our arms. The very common 
beautiful tradition of people pulling at my suit jacket so they can register a complaint. All very traditional parts of touchy Jewish ritual. I've never seen so many articles about rabbis and what they have to say about kissing. The chief Ashkenazi rabbi, Rabbi David Lau, sent out an edict through all the channels, essentially prohibiting observant Jews from kissing their mezuzot. Did you ever think you would live through such a moment? He wrote, quote, or quote translated into English, at a time when we are witnesses to the spread of serious disease, there is no doubt that one should not kiss or touch the mezuzah at all. It is enough for a person, wait for it, to think about it during his entering and exiting. And of course, the obligatory joke, it could possibly lead to mixed dancing, which is another reason to avoid it. But it raises an interesting question outside of the sphere of the virus because I am living my life and I encourage most of us to live most of our lives outside of the sphere of the virus, but may be informed by some of the thinking that goes around it. If it is enough to think about your mezuzah as you walk in and out, then why kiss it at all? How close can we get without touch? How nimble are our minds such that they could do most of the work that we relegate to our fingers and our hands? And if our minds can do it so well, why do we use our digits? I don't want to get into the whole world of, of virtual reality, which our society will have to deal with sooner rather than later, and how it's already had an impact and will continue to make an impact on the world of gaming and the experience of gathering perhaps even in the experience of relations, making touch, all of touch, into a virtual thing. I don't want to focus on that right now. Rather, I want to focus on this question inspired by our crisis, but not focusing directly on it. To what extent can we experience intimacy without touch? Judaism has a lot to say about it, including in a realm of Jewish law that's not particularly popular to talk about in public settings in our community, but it's a central piece of Jewish ritual practice. And I'll refer to it as the ways in which a married couple are supposed to experience a rhythm throughout the weeks and the months of their lives where touch and contact is beautiful, recommended, celebrated, and holy, and where certain kinds of touch, and depending on which community you live in, all touch is relegated to the realm of the prohibited. Now, I will submit, having studied these issues for many, many years, that some of the material, maybe a lot of the material that developed in the Talmudic era and the medieval codes are a little bit of a... Of apologetics for rituals that are sourced in a blood taboo and emerge from a totally non-egalitarian way of understanding gender. I submit that. But within that, you have a beautiful system that has lasted for thousands of years that has forcibly taught Jews who observe this ritual on some level that the muscles that power their mind and their heart 
as they connect to the people closest into their, to their lives, are as powerful, if not more so, than the muscles that power their hands and other parts of their body. But like any muscle, it must be exercised regularly or it will atrophy. Because if it is never relied upon, it'll disappear into insignificance. And so I value the part of our tradition that has couples who are experiencing a physical relationship for decades, teaching them the art of touching a heart, the art of touching a heart without even touching a hand. Our Parsha Titzaveh, which Malka and others read so beautifully today, has nothing to do with the rituals of mikveh and nida, but very much focused on the tactile parts of our tradition in obvious ways and in less obvious ways. In obvious ways, which Malka spoke about so beautifully, these garments that has physicality to them and color, and the experience you can imagine of the high priest putting them on, and did the regular Israelites feel the need to kind of reach out and touch and connect and pull at the tunic and have that tactile relationship with their leader? Was it like what you see in some Hasidic sects where the Rebbe comes out, says a bracha over the challah, and then from his having touched the challah, that challah has a certain holy significance such that the Hasidim are reaching out hand to hand trying to put that piece of challah into their mouths. Don't try that with my cholent. That's an obvious way which this Parsha deals with touch and intimacy. But also there's a verse in the opening lines of the Parsha that Malka read just before the rules of the garments are given. You, Moses, bring to you, bring close to you, hakrave, et Aharon achicha, Aaron, your brother, v'etbanav, and his children, ito, with him, mitoch b'nei Yisrael, bring them so they will serve as priests to me, etc. Many commentators have focused on the verb hakrev. Why does God tell Moshe vis-a-vis Aaron, hakrev, bring close? Why is that word in Moshe's instruction? Rabbi Meir of Premishlan, who lived in the 18th century in what is now the Ukraine, near the town of Lvov, he was a direct disciple of the Baal Shem Tov, of the founder of Hasidut. He's the first generation of students of Hasidut. He says, the reason why God speaks to Moshe this way is for the following reason. Moshe was a loner when it came to leadership. He preferred the word hidbodadut, which is a charged word in Hasidic thinking. Because hitbodadut on the one level means self-quarantine, being as alone as you possibly could. It also means in Hasidic theology, the Rebbe having a very private and intimate moment of contact with God. But here it's being used as a mild critique. Moshe liked to be by himself. He quotes a verse from Parshat Kitisa, which is coming up very soon, that Moshe would take the Ohel Moed, the tent of meeting, and he would place it outside the camp sometimes for a little bit of alone time. And can you blame him when you think about the way the Israelites were pulling at him and critiquing him, complaining to him all the time? But that wasn't Aaron's way. Aharon, Moshe's older brother, according to the mayor, Rabbi Mayor of Premishlan, was Me'uravim Habriot. He was deeply and intimately connected with other people. He was a leader of and with intimacy. He was a leader of and with personal touch. 
And so this Hasidic Rebbe rereads the verse as saying, Hakrave Elacha et Aharon, bring close to you, Moshe, not Aaron the person, but the leadership style that Aaron exemplifies. Bring yourself closer to the way of Aharon. Don't isolate. Don't be afraid. Live among people. Lead among people, Moshe. Get close. Don't be afraid to touch. How would Aharon have fared this week in Shul? Would he and could he have found a way to make those moments of touch across the distance of feet? Some of you know, because I've spoken about it and written about it, of the transformational experience I had about two and a half years ago on a meditation retreat that I did at a very special place to me now on earth called the Holy Isle, which is a tiny island off of the coast of another island, which is off the coast of Scotland. And in this week-long retreat, which was not a silent retreat, that intrigues me also. This was a talky retreat and even a touchy retreat. We had certain periods of time, certain meals, that were held in what our mentor called noble silence. It's a wonderful word. And for people who are used to communicating with each other and touching each other and touching each other with their words, even a little bit of enforced silence is something to get used to. Think of the hustle and bustle of a cafeteria, silent. Think of walking from one part of the campus to the place where you're gathering next, silent. You could imagine how that could distance people from each other. I've never felt so intimate at a lunch from when I sat across the table from someone who was in this cohort with me, focusing on our chewing and thinking about the nutrients coming into our bodies and looking into each other's eyes slightly longer than is normally considered polite and not exchanging a single word, but sharing a very intimate experience nonetheless. Chaste, separate, without even the touch of words, but very intimate. I think for the next few days and weeks, we're going to have to play a version of that play, that part, and pretend that we are in noble silence on some level, or rather transfer from silence to touch, to use talk and speech, to bridge the gap of intimacy, as we're exhibiting a noble and careful and responsible physical distance. It's an opportunity to test out that skill and flex those muscles, which are key in every relationship, because you can't always rely on touch. And to remind ourselves how, on some level, while the extremist religious forces in the world might fetishize touch by prohibiting it so stringently, our society might be overdoing touch, thus lowering the value and the impact of an individual kiss or a hug. Some restraint, even when viral forces are not in play, is warranted. Some modesty reintroduced into our way of life is probably not a bad thing. And so I think this is what is really being asked of us right now, to be just as intimate as before with Torah and with the word of God inscribed on our doorposts and with one another. Without touch, 
but somehow still touching you, touching me, deep in our hearts. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.